You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Vision Daily Briefing after a long weekend. I'm Andreas Steno, the Senior Markets Editor at Real Vision, and we are live on air the 5th of July. And I mean, markets have been crazy today with a load of action in the commodity space. So I'm super pleased to be joined by an old friend of the show and one of the best I know within the commodity space, because we have Tony Greer, the editor of The Morning Navigator, with us today. Good to see you again, Tony. How are you today? You too, Andreas. How you doing, man? Good. I mean, what a day, Tony, uh, in commodity space. Uh, I think Brent oil is almost down to 100 bucks a barrel. Um, we have WTI oil trading below $100 um, uh, after a, a kind of a landslide uh, in today's uh, markets. Um, you've been a commodity bull lately. Um, give us your immediate reaction to the market developments we've seen today, Tony. Yeah, you know, it's um, they finally came after the commodity complex pretty hard today. You know, it's very obvious to me that the damage there is a lot worse than the equity market, which is really just, um, you know, a reversal of the great rotation for sure that I've been betting on. Um, you know, as you can see today, where, um, you know, the S&P is just a few basis points of either side of unchanged. Everything that's rallying on the top of the leaderboard, cannabis, cloud storage, software, the FANG complex, retail, um, software, home builders, every sector that I just mentioned that's up three or four percent today is still down over 30 percent on the year. And when I look at the bottom of the leaderboard, um, you know, what we've, they finally got to obviously, obviously everything, energy, metals and mining to a new low, gold miners being thrown out like babies with the bathwater. Um, you know, those are the sectors that are still up on the year and still probably have some positive merit to them before the year is over. And it looks like today that like, you know, the powers that be that came after, you know, um, they came after the equity rally first with higher yields and the Fed came out with a little bit of a more hawkish FOMC. And then they sold off the natural resources, um, commodities from the highs. And this just like, you know, to me, it looks like this is, you know, kind of the end of the selling in the energy space for the next couple of weeks. I mean, we've got headlines that are looking for, you know, Citigroup calling for recessionary fears and $65 oil, just, just, um, you know, some, some levels that seem completely crazy given the, 
fundamental situation right now. I mean, we've got crack spreads that are still standing tall. We've got the calendar spread that's just backing off. You know, it's not it hasn't loosened very much consider considering we saw a 10% slide in flat price today. So I think the whole energy market here is hinging um, hinging on Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia if that actually happens. Um, and that remains to be seen whether it does happen and what he's able to accomplish. But um, this is just part of the volatility that we're going to have to endure. You know, they're going to get the crude oil down to, you know, it's a uh, 200 day moving average or so. A lot of the energy sectors down around that level. I mean, I'm not really I think that they've gone much farther than pricing in anything but a lockdown, quite honestly. So we've gone from pricing in an inflationary scenario to in pricing in a flat economy to pricing in a recession to, if you ask me, what we're pricing on on the screens in commodity land is a global lockdown. And that's something that I'm really not expecting. So I'm looking to buy commodities on the dip and uh, see how the rotation shakes out, Andreas. Nothing major going on here. <laughs> Good resume. Uh, I mean, Tony, let's talk a bit about oil uh, because we're no longer within spitting distance of uh, year-to-date highs. Um, in your view, what's been driving this sell-off? Is it the recession fears? Is it positioning? Or is it something more fundamental? I really don't think it's positioning. You know, when I look up the managed futures longs in crude oil, which are kind of a spec long divided by open interest, it's it's sort of to the bottom of the range that we've seen historically. So I don't really get too you know, worried about a steeper oil slide from here. Yeah, they got they got it pretty good today. There's absolutely no headline that drove that price action. Um, the street decided that it's accumulation of recession fears that we were going to price in all in one day, only in commodities. The bond market doesn't care about the recession that we priced in today, right? The stock market doesn't care about the recession priced in today. The world would like you to believe that today we're pricing in the global lockdown for commodities only. And so I'm not really buying that story. I'm not I'm not going to leave my feet here. I think that it's really just a federal follow through from the Federal Reserve managing optics. Right. I mean, if they're going to use everything in their power to fight inflation, I'm sure they've got the president's working group wailing away at any commodity that seems vulnerable. I mean, that's what they have the working group to do. And they've admitted that it's in other markets aside from equities, bonds and commodities. So that to me looks like the kind of move that I'm seeing on my screens, that sort of no reason slip and slide um, that is where the market's trading like somebody blew up. But I don't know if there's anybody long enough commodities to blow up in that move. So I still think it's optics management. And I still remain an oil bull without really moving my posture very much into this slide. Uh, you've also been talking about uh, the so-called crack spread as a gauge of the demand at the pump. Um, so please unpack your thinking uh, on the recent developments in the crack spread and whether uh, you find some comfort in those. Well, you know, I find a little bit of comfort in them as they pull back here into the mid 40s from the high 50s. Um, you know, the, the uptrend is still intact, and that is the trend essentially of refinery margins, right? What they are able mm. to to earn from cracking three barrels of WTI into two barrels of gasoline and one barrel of jet fuel. So um, as long as that margin remains at historically blown out levels at, you know, at the four in the $44 level. I mean, these are spreads that used to trade at the at, at $10 in the teens. So we're still four times, you know, the normal level of where crack spreads, uh, crack spreads have traded. 
the, the pullback from the highs is something obviously a reaction to the headlines. Um, I think the refiner and the pullback and the refinery spreads are definitely the market getting ahead of, you know, the next political shoe to drop that nobody knows what might be coming from the Biden administration next in terms of their batshit crazy energy policy. So while they've got a little bit of a reprieve in price here, we'll see if they decide to attack it while it's, you know, on its heels a little bit more and knock it down a little further. But my sense is prices at the pump aren't going much below $4. If we look at the current level of the oil price and assume that it will sort of flatline from here over the next couple of months, will we then see a pass through to the price at the pump? But what's your take on that? I think it's going to be a while before prices at the pump move. You know, it, it's mm. kind of the... Uh, it's usually where they, um, you know, walk up very slowly and they kind of stay there lingering while, you know, crude oil prices back off and gasoline backs off. So I have a feeling that that will continue. And I have a feeling that the energy markets will recover before we get much lower prices at the pump. Quite honestly, Andreas, you know, I'm, I'm really, as you can tell, I'm not that phased by this pullback today. Mm. It is, you know, uh, you know, going at a rapid speed towards technical support that I would love to get a chance to buy it at. I think the 200-day moving average in crude oil is around $93. So that's another six bucks below here. I don't know if we get that cheap over the next week or so, but I will certainly be buying that line the first time down and maybe the second time. Um but that, that's it. I think, you know, like I said, everything is hinging right now on what Biden is able to come away from Saudi Arabia with. And if he even gets there, I don't even think that, you know, increasing output is going to be a topic of discussion at the meeting because I don't think the Saudis have it to increase. So we'll see what kind of political dance maneuvers happen out of there. Um, like I said, if the meeting happens, it seems like there's still a long way, a lot that could happen between now and um, June 12th or 13th when Biden is supposed to go there. But we'll find out soon, right? Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Uh, I think a few mics caught um, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, telling Biden at the latest uh, G7 meeting that the Saudis weren't be a even able to to increase the uh, supply, right? Um, Great point. So, so, yeah, so let's see what happens. Um if we look at the industrial metal space, um, I would argue that we see a more clear uh, negative technical pattern unfolding if we look at copper, for example, a clear bear market um, currently. What do you make of the pricing in the metal space compared to the energy sector? So the metal space is, is a space that I can make the case that the market was really excessively long going into the slide that we just saw. Right. Much longer than the energy market. You know, the metals markets had the stagflation story driving them. Right. Metals are generally really good performers in periods of stagflation. So they had that as a tailwind. They had the electronic vehicle story where everybody, including myself for a period of time, was all hopped up about how many how much base metal we were going to need to consume for this transition to electronic vehicles. And apparently that doesn't seem to be an issue for pricing anymore. Um, as we are still in incredibly low inventory levels of base metals, we've just seen the prices pull back 
30 and 40 percent. Right. So I think that that's a sector that was really, really vulnerable to, you know, portfolio managers being loaded to the gills long, even if they didn't believe in the energy story quite as much. They needed to have some exposure on for the stagflation story and for the um, electronic vehicle transfer. So, you know, that said that those have pulled back to really, really. Um, I don't know what you want to call it levels. They're a lot cheaper than they were, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if I want to stick my nose in and buy it yet. Although there are some things that look like they're getting closer to run their course on exhaustion levels like copper. Like today for me, it was interesting that copper on the lows reached the 50% retracement of the move from the 4,200 lockdown low on the LME to 11K at the highs. So today we just reached the whole 50% pullback of that move. So I'm kind of thinking, and there was also some oversold stochastics and RSI, et cetera, that give me, lead me to believe that maybe this is toward the late innings of the copper spill. But breaking down below that range of 8,800 to 10K that it spent the last year in, really, with tons of false breakouts, that was the death of copper right there. Um, and you had tons of people piling in to all of the, you know, the Freeport Macarans, the um, aluminum names like Alcoa just to have that exposure and the floor fell out on them in a super severe rate of change in the commodity and bond markets. And I think that that's what the market is finally digesting the last vestiges of right now. A lot of pundits tend to talk about Dr. Copper uh, because copper is uh, at least clearly linked to the business cycle. Um, if we see a further landslide in the copper price, would you then consider that a signal of a material um, global slowdown? Yeah, you know, Andreas, you know me, I don't like to argue with the tape too much, right? So if no. copper is going to, you know, continue this slide, I am certainly not going to stand in the way and say, no, there's not going to be further economic slowdown because, you know, that's what we're pricing in right now. Dare I say that we've seen some signs um, across some desks that I've spoken to of um, some people getting short. A lot of these cyclical names here, literally just putting on the recession playbook you know, short cyclicals, short energy, short natural resources, you know, and putting on probably today a lot of those um, deflationary trades that were so popular for 15 years. Um, you know, they're buying back cannabis stocks for the first time all year, but also a lot of those really beaten down subsectors of tech that have finally dead cat bounced off the bottom. So I think that that's happening because the bond market has finally picked its head up and is staging a mini miniature type of bounce where yields are at least off of their highs. And I suppose if we're going to price in a recession, that that should probably continue, right? I don't really know, but I'll continue that. I'll, I'll consider that as a, a light tailwind for the stock market, if that's fair, um, Andreas, that we see treasuries start to rallying and bringing rates back down a little bit. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here and, you know, it was like slaying dragons all year and it just got 10 times harder in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, this is uh, this is for experts only right now. Yeah, it surely did. Um, I mean, I've noted the divergence between uh, the energy space and the industrial metal space. Uh, I think uh, Brian can show a chart for us right now Great uh, on this diet. Uh, this divergence. Um, what do you make of that divergence? And is it tradable? Is it a spread that you can trade? It seems really tricky to me to try to capture that as a trade, Andreas. Mm. You know, and, and and I'm not saying that it's not a potential trade, right? It looks like you know you can look for a play where those jaws close up 
and energy and metal start trading a lot closer in tandem at some point down the road, right? Mm. I would say that, you know, to me, that tells the story of, um, you know, there's still there's still a sector of the market that just doesn't believe that oil can rally any higher because the price is too high and we've reached $5 gas and we're at the levels of inflation, you know, that kind of topped off in the 80s, right? That remains to be seen whether that is peak inflation levels. But I do believe that that tells the story, you know, of, of an extra performance kick in the metal space out of that stagflationary scenario we were looking at and out of the transfer to electronic battery power, right? We still need the king's ransom of base metals to do that. They're still at extraordinarily low inventory levels. We just see uh, we just saw a massive adjustment in price where, you know, I'm assuming Chinese buyers all put the brakes on anything that they were looking to buy to see where this shakes out. And at some point, I would imagine that the jaws close, but I don't know whether it would be a metals and mining rally or a much steeper sell-off in energy from here. That's not something that I want to bet on right now. So while I do think that it's a viable play, it's not one that I'm gonna I'm gonna um, I'm not smart enough to tackle that two-sided spread there. Uh, by the way, let me add on that discussion on whether gasoline can go any higher from here. Uh, if you adjust the price of gasoline for the running uh, increase in basically in productivity uh, in cars, uh, so you're basically now able to drive a lot longer per gallon of gas, right, uh, than you were in like 2010 just, um, then the price is still fairly cheap compared to 2008, for example. I, I agree. You know, I, I don't think I, I haven't usually the reason I don't buy into this whole recession build in story here is because you usually hear stories closer to home about a recession pending that that, you know, kind of rattle you. And I haven't heard any of that, you know, just, um, you know, into the end of the year last year. And then we saw another resurgence of, you know, global gasoline demand at all time highs. So that's usually not something that precedes a recession. Right. So all I'm seeing here in the last two weeks is the financial side of the market pricing in a recession and the bond market hasn't really priced in one and the commodity markets just priced in one today. So all of that is very confusing timing wise for me, but it's making it more difficult to decide where, you know, the bottom of this natural resources dip is, if that's fair to say. Yeah, definitely, Tony. Uh, I wanted to play a, a clip for, for you from just last week where you hosted uh, Doomberg, the Twitter profile, uh, for a discussion on the commodity complex. Um, so let's uh, have a view of the clip and then uh, keep debating the, um, the commodity space after that. Sure. So now we've got this situation where we're, you know, there is such a shortage of natural gas in Europe that they may have to set down, a sh shut down a major chemical plant. Yet the price of natural gas has come back from 10 to six and a quarter. The price of oil has backed off from 100 and a quarter to 110. And all of the equities have been thrown out with that bathwater. So that's why I look at the opportunity now in being, you know, the opportunity to buy some of these natural resources stocks on a dip and probably at some point see the tightness of these commodity markets start to show their face and start to you know put some sort of strength beside behind the physical commodity space do you have do you see that playing out in that way uh, at all doom or how are you feeling about the way the market's trading around these stories yeah you know i it, as you know i i'm a i subscribe to you to watch how professional traders actually trade i'm i we we pride ourselves on analysis but converting that into true trading ideas is not our specialty having said that it, it is pretty clear that 
companies who are back integrated to natural gas in the U.S. and who are exposed to global prices that might result from, you know, global price spikes that might result from a super site, not just a chemical plant. We're talking like a like a super chemical, like a super site. It's it's a um, there's a German word for it that escapes me, but um, you can imagine there's a German word for everything. And um, there's a special type of chemical plant in this BSF facility is is really one of four on the planet. Um, and if it were to go offline, it would be such a big deal. But companies that sell, let's say, polyurethane, that is basically a globally traded commodity, but are back integrated into cheap energy inputs, they would be huge beneficiaries on the PL. You can watch the entire uh, interview on the Real Vision platform if you are an Essential Plus or Pro subscriber. Tony, uh, back to you. Um, I mean, uh, this uh, is a great interview with Doomberg that you did just last week um, on the so sort of structural issues that uh, we're faced with in the commodity space. Um, I mean, uh, unpack a bit for us your thinking um, just since last Friday on, on the developments and, and whether you've changed your mind on anything. Well, nothing, nothing, nothing about today's tape has changed the fact that Germany needs to prepare for their gas to be turned off by Russia, right? That that that's just one scenario that's looming out there that seems highly likely. Still, um, it's still responsible for this massive kink in natural gas, where the the, the winter months are still at a tremendous um, premium over the rest of the calendar because everybody is trying to accumulate storage for the winter months. So, but what Doomberg continued, what Doomberg has said is just become particularly prescient in that, that major BASF facility is in danger of shutting down. And we saw another warning out of Europe where that was stated in exactly that, that, you know, major facilities are in danger of being, you know, unsourced for energy and in danger of having to change their operations toward a shutdown. And those are things that you don't just restart overnight because of the, you know, the massive scale of their intertwined heating and cooling systems, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we're getting down to the nitty gritty where, you know, if this were, if we fast forward to Europe, if we fast forward to winter right now, there would be people freezing, you know? And so the scenario hasn't changed for the risk over there. I mean, what's the standout move today to me? It's really the dollar leaping to a new high as the euro collapses to another, you know, spiraling new low. And I don't know who's going to stand in the way of that freight train until we resolve this energy story. So, you know, we've still got Germany as the sort of point hub being totally beholden to Russian gas and Germany now trying to hold or the EU to get to the EU now trying to hold together with this weak point in Germany and not knowing how to deal with the economic fallout or the social backlash that they'll be dealing with. So I think that tells the story of the weaker euro, the stronger dollar, um, you know, the risk that we face um, in the natural gas supply getting cut off. Right. What happened when that Freeport LNG facility shut down here? is it trapped a lot of natural gas here in the United States. As you saw, the price of local natural gas imploded from $9 to, it's safe to say it's still going down at about $5.50 last, and the Dutch TTF price in Europe exploded because mm. all of that gas is now trapped over here and it's not going to get over to Europe via LNG. So that is another, you know, that's another really tricky situation until that facility gets back online. There's even more risk in Europe for their supply. So this situation is one that's ongoing and, and one that's bubbling underneath this steep 
slide that we're seeing in fossil fuels now. And, and really one of the stories that gives you confidence in at least looking for a place to buy the dip, because I'm still confident, Andreas, that once all of this political optics management shakes out and the market gets back on a little bit of a more natural path, I still think we're going to see a return to the great rotation where natural resources can rally and technology stocks have trouble. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, and I can add on the uh, German story that uh, for the first time, uh, I think in uh, ever, um, we actually imported more gas from the US last week compared to Russian gas. But the reason is obviously that the Russian gas export um, has basically uh, stalled, uh, to say it the least, to Europe. Um, and for the first time since the reunification of Germany, Germany was actually a net importer uh, on the trade balance last uh, month. Uh, so it goes to show how big this energy crisis is. I think, Brian, you can bring a chart up on the um, uh, German gas inventories in the biggest gas storage site in northern uh, Germany called Reden. Um, it is, uh, it, at least it was run by Gazprom uh, until lately. Uh, and as you can see, the, the storage levels are still super low in uh, in Germany. So. It kind of goes to show how the severe, uh, how severe the situation is, right, Tony? Yeah, yeah. You know, and when you compare that to the politicians, which continue to do nothing but manage the optics, um, mm. you know, you haven't heard anybody turn, you know, the story around into, you know, what? Let's start drilling again. Let's just at least put our, you know, civilian population at ease and take a little pressure off of them, and you know, we'll worry about the environment in a couple of weeks. You know, maybe we can start up some domestic production here, but there hasn't been a sign of that. Um, there's more been just, you know, pointing the figure out at a different person, a different, you know, uh, Putin's price hike and whatever dis- uh, distraction they want to make up for the moment. But the reality is until the batshit crazy local energy policy is sorted out, we're still going to have upside risks in the energy market, whether or not we head into a, a you know, a two quarter recession or whatever it is. I'm just not a believer that all of a sudden this recession appeared and it's going to be so useful to the Federal Reserve, um, you know, and bail out the stock market and put pressure on commodities. I just don't think that that's going to work out in the end. No, agreed. Um, I tweeted earlier today that Trump basically wanted Angela Merkel, uh, the former chancellor of Germany, to stop uh, using Russian gas to increase the military spending and to decrease the trade surplus. Well, we're basically here now. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not on purpose, but um, uh, by by coincidence, we uh, we basically got to the stage where Trump got all his demands for for, for Germany. Um, I wanted to to bring in a few questions from our audience, uh, Tony. Uh, we have a great. A question from Brad relating to the supply chain uh, in in the oil space. Uh, he asks um, if anything were to happen to the current oil supply chain, the price could go dramatically higher. In his view, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's it's we're back to that Russia story where they've got a lot of leverage now, and if we decide to sanction their oil and they decide to take their oil off the market and you know keep five five million barrels of production you know within Russian borders. That would certainly be, you know, one of the causes for this price hike. I think that's the scenario that J.P. Morgan was talking about. 
I don't know if that's a high probability scenario and I'm not really treating $380 as anything, you know, really that's about to happen or anything like that. But I do think that it's become clear that, you know, Europe and the U.S. want to gather NATO and expand NATO um, against Russia. It looks like this is going to be a much more prolonged um, confrontation than anybody had in mind when it first started. And all of a sudden, you know, Putin is turning and saying, you know what, here's another list of commodities that I'm only taking rubles for. So, you know, it seems like he's trying to push back with his pressure. The um, U.S. and the EU are trying to push back with their pressure. But I could totally see the U.S. and EU right now being irresponsible enough to push Putin to the level of cutting off gas supply outside of Russia. And that's not something that I would normally be expecting to happen. But the way that they played their cards the entire way, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any kind of a sensible maneuver to address this kind of crisis. I think that is a feasible but sad scenario for uh, for the winter ahead. Yeah. Um, we have another question uh, relating to the market pricing that we've seen over the past uh, few trading sessions in the energy space. Oliver asks you, Tony, how to assess when to catch a falling knife in the energy space. Man, it's really hard. And if you mm. think that I haven't been spending at least the last six hours sitting here trying to come up with a plan for that, you're crazy. So my general um, my general guides personally is if you've got really good technical levels, you can buy while things are under pressure where you've got some good risk reward to lean on, right? Whether it's a Fibonacci retracement, a moving average, a trend line, those are the things that you can lean on so you can potentially buy some weakness with a properly managed risk trade there. Another method is to sort of wait until the smoke settles. Right. And, and at least wait until, um, you know, the Bloomberg Commodities Index stopped registering, you know, huge weeks on the downside and see where this commodity slide shakes out. It has been the fastest rate of change commodity slide that I've ever seen in my 32 years of sitting in front of a screen aside from the lockdown commodity slide. Um, you know, so now we're, we're comparing something that was the most severe lockdown, you know, economic shutdown in the history of mankind Two, the Fed adjusting the market to a little bit of a recessionary environment, right? So it seems kind of weird to me that those things both happen with such massive, massive intensity over such a short period of time without the market being so heavily positioned long in commodities, which it was not. So, you know, you've got to look for things like that. You've got to look for recoveries. You've got to also, the first most important thing for me, for example, what I'll be doing with my XOP position probably this week is selling it, right, and getting out of the way to, to look to buy it back at a time or place or price when things look better again for the oil markets. You know, I was saved, um, I, I saved my own hide a little bit by <clears throat> making some sales while, you know, Jared Dillian read really positive sentiment and energy while Tom Thornton was throwing out his warnings of DMARC exhaustion signals. So I reflexively make sales when that fits with my plan and the securities that I'm long are sailing away from their moving averages into the stratosphere. No matter what, that rate of change was still so fast that I'm now back on my heels in terms of trading this position. So I'm very much in that mode of leaning on technical levels, waiting for the smoke to clear, and then being 
the first one in the ring that's ready to buy all of this stuff back when the dust settles, because I think it's going to go right back to where it came from. So that's my idea. We have time for a final question. Uh, and this is a question from the real vision side. Um, it uh, refers to uh, all of the topics that we've uh, spoken about already today, Tony. We have uh, an energy crisis ongoing. We have a war ongoing. We have uh, economic slash recessionary fears ongoing all over the globe. Why not just buy gold? I think that is that's a tremendous question. <laughs> I tell you, I you know I've been avoiding the gold trade because I've gotten burned so many times. Um, I still think that we're getting toward a level that I'm more than willing to sock some of my money into the gold market with the idea that it is going to have a better chance of surviving more equity volatility than some of the other places that I can put it. You know, when you look at the performance in the first half of the year, Andreas, you had energy stocks were all up in the first half of the year technology, home builders and retailers all got dismantled in the first half of the year and gold was down 1%. And in that environment, when the S&P is down 18% and bonds are down 15 or 20%, I'd be fine holding on to some gold. So I'm really, I'm looking at this steep sell-off into the low 1700s as a potential, you know, time to add to my physical position as a potential time to kind of put money away in hiding for the short term, if that's fair to say, and, and try to just be in bullion for a little while while this um, commodity de-risking clears. But I do agree that the the premise for gold should not be over and done with, at least the way that it's trading right now, in my opinion. This is this is where this is a dip that I'd consider buying, having not touched it for 150 bucks now. I've made it my trademark to always conclude the daily briefing with a meme when I'm hosting it. Um, and uh, let's let's have a look at the meme uh, of uh, of today's show because I I couldn't stop laughing when I saw this meme. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if we listen to you, Tony, uh, uh, this guy won't buy <laughs> either regular or premium anytime soon because yeah. the price at the pump won't come uh, come back lower. Uh, but in any case, Tony, it's been a pleasure to host you again today. Thanks for joining. Great job, Andreas, as usual, my man. Well covered. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, Mackie Lake will be hosting Darius Dale. So thanks again for watching and see you again tomorrow. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.